Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name's Charlie, you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and welcome to Project Shadow. It's been a lot of crazy stuff going on, hope everybody's having a good time if you are in the Midwest, because, or anywhere where there's going to be crazy wintry weather today, please take precautions, be safe, uh, ice storms hopefully will not happen fingers crossed. So today we are going to continue our look at Star Wars The Clone Wars with what I'm calling the Malevolence Cycle. This is a series of three episodes which begin with Rising Malevolence, Shadow of Malevolence, <laughs> cannot speak today, Shadow of Malevolence, and Destroy Malevolence. Okay, so... We've already talked in our first episode in the series about the first episode of the show. We've talked about the movie. Now we're getting into the series itself. One of the things that makes the Clone Wars brilliant is that they allowed themselves to do these arcs. This allowed them to stay within the 22 minute per episode limit that is placed on children's television and be able to tell grander stories that felt like they had more impact and more just gravity to the weight of the story. See, in olden times, this probably would have been a story that happened in one episode. So Grievous would have gotten his hands on a new ship called the Malevolence. It has a crazy weapon that can easily take out a Republic fleet. He is wiping out fleets one by one, leaving no survivors. And then our Jedi rush in, save the day, and destroy the mega weapon. Growing up, that was the plot of almost every TV show I ever watched, and it would all happen in one episode. The brilliant thing with the Clone Wars, and why it feels so much more weighty, than your average show of this type is that in, in the embracing of the serialized nature of the material that Star Wars was, inspi was inspired by, and this series really does feel like an old school serial from the 1930s, though updated and modernized for our time, because of course, you know, they didn't have computer generated animation back then. Um, <laughs> as well as the stories and the themes being updated as well. But by embracing that, the threat of the CIS forces is so much more palatable because we have the first episode which introduces the threat of the Malevolence, this new mega ship that the um, CIS have gotten their hands on. We get to see it ravage a battle fleet commanded by Jedi General Plo Koon, and we get to see 
just how vile General Grievous is in ensuring that there are no survivors. This, again, one of the things that I have to laud the show for. Most shows of this type lionize fighting. They show the valiance of warfare and really make it look appealing. Like, a lot of shows, especially marketed towards children, turn war into something like a game where there are no costs, there are good guys, there are bad guys, and everything is all better by the end of the episode. In a show like this, starting with the rise of the malevolence, I'm sorry, rising malevolence, we see the hunter droids going through the remnants, seeking out the life pods to destroy and kill the clone troopers within. And we actually see them kill one set of clone troopers. Now, some people might think that that's not fitting for a children's show, but then we need to have a conversation about it violence in children's shows at that point, because if you're not going to show the ugly side of violence and only show the fun swashbuckling side of violence, then really it shouldn't be in a children's show at all. By showing us the clone troopers getting hurt, getting killed, dying in this battle, we get to have a connection with them because they have gone in the previous episode into great detail that the clones are not expendable. That is Yoda's main message, one of Yoda's main messages in the prior episode. And in this one, one of the clones specifically says, we're expendable. No one's going to come looking for us. We're expendable. And Plo Koon stops and says, no, you're not. And this is, throughout this cycle of three episodes, a recurring theme. Because we see Grievous just destroying droids that, well, weren't functioning up to his standards or weren't performing the way that he wanted them to. Or he just gets angry and destroys one. To the point where even Count Dooku complains to him about the expense of having to replace the droids that he's destroying through just temper and peak. That's an important message to put into a kid's show, and almost an even more important show to put into an adult's... an important message to put in an adult's show. I watch a lot of combat-oriented shows. I read a lot of combat-oriented fiction. I write combat-oriented fiction quite often. And there is a certain callousness with life that a lot of these shows portray. You either have your black-and-white heroes where they will not take the life of anyone that they're fighting against, and when they do, it's a major violation of their ethics that they will then spend time grappling with. And that's primarily when I'm thinking about that. That's the Flaro shows. That's, you know, Arrow, The Flash, so on and so forth. Legends of Tomorrow, Black Lightning. You know, you see where I'm going there. 
they spend a lot of time dealing with that because, well, you don't want your heroes running around just killing people left and right. Unless you're the Punisher, but we're not talking about that today. Many shows just gloss over the violence and don't give it the weight that it deserves. Rising malevolence, why can't I say that word today? Rising malevolence is such an amazing episode of the series in that it really roots us into the guts of the war. Grievous wants revenge on the Jedi. The Separatists are fighting their war for variant reasons that we will get into as we continue throughout the series. What sets these apart is really spending that time looking at and considering the ramifications of the ruthlessness with which General Grievous is willing to take on the clone army. He will kill them. He will destroy them. He will leave no survivors. And he makes a very flippant remark at one point that they need to kill off the survivors so he can keep his reputation. Well, that's not justification for your actions. Neither is anything that he says a justification for his actions. And by leaving his presumptions of violence, his just default state of utter destruction in his wake unchallenged, the show would have done a disservice to its overall message that war is dirty. War is ugly. It is something that creates heroes and villains, but neither side is ever 100% clean in this. In the, this episode in particular, we have Anakin basically being ordered to let Plo Koon die and violating those orders to go save him and a few of his clone troopers. And that's kind of a dark place to be in. I mean, to the point where Ahsoka openly challenges the Jedi Council and their callousness over this. And it's not entirely callous. They know that this ship is out there and they're trying to protect their shipping lanes so that they can keep trade and the supplies that they need at the front moving. The malevolence is making that very difficult for them. So you can see the necessity in their callousness, but it's a callous act in and of itself. And of course, one that begins making Anakin and eventually Ahsoka question the Jedi order and their virtue their actual morality, and whether or not they are an ethical order in the first place. This will eventually, as we know, drive Ahsoka out of the Jedi Order, and, well, it will turn Anakin Skywalker into Darth Vader. And we can see that operating within this one episode. We can see the, the relationship that Plo Koon has with his officers and with his soldiers. We can see the pain in him that they are being killed and slaughtered and that he is going to try to find a way to save them and really holding out hopes that he will actually be able to accomplish this. 
his dedication to his men is a wonderful way to portray loyalty in a series. Again, many series of this type show loyalty the other way around, of, oh, we must bow down and respect the leader. We rarely get stories where a leader is risking their own life and really focusing on the betterment of the people under their command and exhibiting their loyalty to their soldiers, to those under their command. That is a very important lesson because more than anything else, that is the way loyalty should flow. It should flow from the top down, not from the bottom up. If the people in charge are not loyal to the people below them, then the people below them do not owe loyalty to the people on top. This really isn't a an equal to a street. And that's a, portrayed very well in this episode and really makes us think about the cost of the war and everything that goes along with it. When we get into the second episode in the cycle, Shadow of Malevolence, General Grievous has decided with consultation from from Dooku, so you can see that this is actually part of the plan for the CIS to take these actions to assault a hospital, to assault a hospital station, a medical station where injured clones and other soldiers are sent to recuperate. Yeah, that is some downright evil, evil actions on the part of Grievous and Dooku. Like, we can't leave him out on that one. Along the way, we have just one of the most beautiful scenes in the series. Anakin leading Shadow Squadron, um, Shadow Squad, through the Balmora run and getting to see the Balmora flying naked in space. These beautiful creatures, gas gulpers as Ahsoka refers to them. This is one of the things that I have enjoyed about Star Wars. And in a few episodes of Star Trek, I've found, like, I just watched Tin Man again recently, and I'm just obsessed by this idea of a creature that lives natively in the vacuum of space. I think it's one of the reasons why I loved Farscape. Like, right from the beginning, the idea of a creature bred to live in space, or even one that could have evolved to live there. But we'll talk about the Balmora a little bit more in the rest of the cycle after the break. And we're back. Okay, so with... with I, I don't know what it is about creatures living natively in space that interests me so much. It was one of the best hooks in Encounter at Farpoint, the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, where we meet two spacefaring creatures in that episode, and later with Tin Man, an episode that I've been obsessed with forever and have written several fanfics about what happened to Tam Elbrin thereafter. Again, if anybody has any fanfiction about Tin Man 
written on the East Coast in the 90s by a Koloth, K-O-L-O-T-H. Please send them to me. I, I do not have copies of them anymore, and I would love to get versions of those stories. I would love to get to see those again. But I don't know what it is about the Balmora. They, they, they're an interesting little side jaunt in a very dark story that adds to the adventure and the excitement because they're just going about doing their business and the Y-Wings have to fight their way through them without fighting. Again, a beautiful show of nonviolence in this series. It just, I don't know, made my day. It's one of my favorite parts of this episode. And since you all asked for me to be doing a space opera for a companion series, I am actually contemplating the idea of a living ship. Don't know if I'm going to do it or not, but I am contemplating the idea of a living ship. So if you have any comments, please send them in. But back to our story. The events in this, again, show that might is not the most important thing. Another very good lesson for this type of story to be teaching, especially to children. The might of the malevolence should easily have destroyed the station. It should have been able to easily take out Anakin and his Y-Wings in Shadow Squad. But what actually saves the day, what actually brings them to the point of victory, is ingenuity. And running away. If they hadn't run from the malevolence, they would have lost all of their bombers when it fired upon them. And though they still lost a couple, and that is remarked about in the show, another very important thing that we get to hear them actually mourn the loss of characters that we had not gotten to know. We see them doubling back on the station, on, on the ship. It's so big, it feels like it should have been a battle station. But our, our almost Death Star-like ship. We see them double back on it and actually assault the weapon to the point where when it goes to fire on the med station, the power running through it shorts it out and causes it to explode, thus taking out the main weapon on the malevolence and turning it into essentially a large um, cruiser. You know, I just realized I'm this far into the episode and I never said spoiler warning. I, I should have said that. Sorry, but the, this show is fairly old, so I get, I don't know, I just didn't feel like I should have given a spoiler warning for it, but maybe, maybe I should have. It didn't, no, I mean, it came out in 2008, it's 10 years old, so, eh, and it's been on Netflix for almost that, for a very long time, so, sorry for not giving spoiler warnings, but, <laughs> better late than never, I guess, right, spoiler warning, um, so this leads to the events in the finale of the seer, of the cycle, Destroy Malevolence, this episode is one that bugs me slightly because it plays at how um how much 
creativity our heroes lack and how much ingenuity our foes have. Because Padme Amidala is sent by Chancellor Palpatine right into the path of the Malevolence so Grievous can capture her and escape because he knows about Anakin and Padme. Remember, this is after the events of Attack of the Clones, so they are already married. And, yeah, so she just goes and she gets captured and they never have a moment of where did that bad intelligence come from? Hmm. Maybe hindsight is twenty twenty on that one. I don't know. It. I, I'm not going to ding the show for that too hard because, one, they only have 22 minutes in an episode and... Immediately following this, we go off to another adventure at another place in another time. One of the other brilliant things that happens in The Clone Wars is that it is not entirely told in chronological order. So that also makes for a bit more fun. Because there are a few times where we come back and revisit events that we thought we knew well. And that will be fun to talk about when we get there. So the actual events here are fairly straightforward. Anakin and Obi-Wan end up infiltrating the Malevolence so that they can take it down from the inside, hopefully capture General Grievous, and retrieve Senator Amidala, who is now a bargaining chip in the hands of the Confederacy of Independent Systems. Yeah, so that's what happens. And more or less, it it works. The payoff for me in this episode, Destroy Malevolence is much more a denouement, an extended denouement to the actual climax of the series, which takes place in um, the previous episode, Shadow of Malevolence. Um... But it works. The characterizations are good. We see the struggles for the first time in series. Well, second time. You see them in the movie a little bit. But we get to see how Anakin and Padme are trying to hide their relationship and their feelings for each other. Of course, not hiding it from C-3PO, though... That doesn't matter because C-3PO's memory will eventually be wiped, unlike R2, which means he knows the whole story and could have told everybody the whole time. But anyway, Anthony Daniels reprises his role as C-3PO in here, and I have much love for Anthony Daniels. But C-3PO is not and has not ever really been one of my favorite characters. I do like the way that they... Again, set a trap for Grievous and his um, droids so that they can basically take themselves out. The, the story works out fine. It works out as well as one could expect. I like the banter between the characters. It all in all works. The most interesting part of this, though, is getting to see, see the nature of the two sides of the conflict 
and that we know since we've seen the movies prior to the series coming out is actually a three-sided conflict really play out in the malevolent cycle because well everything that is happening is of course part of the grand master plan of chancellor palpatine to take over and ensure his dominance over the republic and that will culminate in him naming himself the first emperor of the new galactic empire which we see in revenge of the sith and following this shows how he tries to compensate when his plans go awry he knows that the malevolence is unstoppable that is his basic belief it is the first super weapon that we see deployed by the empire now the problem with this is we know that he has aims and designs against and for anakin skywalker he wants anakin to eventually be his new apprentice he wants him to fall to the dark side and eventually become a sith at his side he sees the value in skywalker and the power that he can bring to help tip the balance towards him and into his favor. The problem is, Anakin is headstrong and prone to just gallivanting off (laughs) into danger at any time. So we actually see him try to intervene twice in course of this three-episode arc to keep anakin alive he tries very hard to get anakin recalled when he finds out that he's run off and the jedi kind of hand wave him because "Eh, that's just skywalker being skywalker we'll send obi-wan out there we'll get it fixed but that's just skywalker being skywalker and of course in an attempt to get rid of the distraction of Padme Amidala and to try to save the malevolence. He sends her to the ship to where he knows the ship's going to be so she can be captured and be used as a bargaining trip chip for Grievous and the malevolence to escape. And of course, should anything bad happen to her, meh. It's, it's part of the plan. It's got to happen eventually anyway. Anakin's triggers are loss, which we actually see in this cycle as he copes with the loss of people under his command. And it's not well. We see this very clearly as he stands brooding in the hangar bay after Shadow Squadron returns. He's not happy. He miraculously only lost two ships i believe in the fight with the malevolence but still that's two ships too many acceptable losses are a problem and this is a phrase that actually comes up in the show that acceptable losses could derail everything so seeing chancellor palpatine kind of manipulating everything behind the scenes helps to reinforce what the Sith Lord is doing in playing both sides off each other to achieve his 
endgame, which is for him to become emperor, but also to try to keep the pieces on the board that he needs for the time being. He needs Grievous, he needs Dooku, and he knows he will eventually need Anakin. Anakin plays a big part in his future plans. So getting to see him kind of play chess as he's trying to move the pieces apart, and while the pieces have their own concept of what they should be doing, and it's not what he needs them to be doing, it's a fun aspect of this cycle that, I don't know, <laughs> I, I like seeing Palpatine get comeuppance, and that's kind of what happens in here. So that's the Malevolence cycle. This is a story that we will eventually revisit, and we'll talk about that when we get there, but it it's fun. I, I really like this show. If you haven't watched Clo The Clone Wars, one of the reasons why I'm doing this kind of in-depth breakdown of the series is, one, we're finally going to get the end of The Clone Wars soon on the new stream Disney streaming app. And so I want you to be ready for that so that you know who all the characters and the players are in this. I'm expecting we're actually going to get the battle on Mandalore. And that's a thing. We already know a little bit about that if you've read the Ahsoka novel. But I just really think there are some fun stories here. So if you like this episode, please, if you can, in the podcatcher or app you're listening to me on rate either this episode or the podcast itself that really helps out a lot that tells the algorithm to share the podcast to more people and i really would like to grow the audience because the more people that listen the bigger our community and the more things we can do together if you have a dollar you can throw my way in the show notes you'll see a link that says anchor community support if you click that you can give it the one dollar five dollar or ten dollar levels that money goes to helping me get things like this microphone that I'm talking to you on that sounds so much better than my old microphone and the software that I'm using for everything. Thank you so very much. Um, if you don't have the money, trust me, I understand money being tight. I really do right now, especially right now. Oh my goodness. Um, that's okay. Just share this podcast with people that you think would like it. That helps out immensely as well. Uh, I am working on the new story, as well as getting everything ready for the first Mask of the Gods story to come out, book to come out. Um, if you have anything that you would like to add, you can follow me on social media. I'm C.E. Dorset on Twitter. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash project shadow and join the group over there i'd love to get more discussion going because one of the main reasons why i do this is i would really like to get a community of like-minded people together discussing sci-fi and fantasy because that's how we find the best i think that's it you can find links to everything that i do over at projectshadow.com until next time don't forget have the fun bye